Today on Two Drop Tables and a Microphone, the boys discuss Putin and Trump forming a cybersecurity team to thwart election hacking. Is this for real or just a media ploy? How much trust can the public put in something like this and will anything meaningful come out of it? Next, two-factor authentication is a mess. Or is it really? With so many available options out there, which ones are actually going to safeguard your online presence and which are ones to stay away from? Are people getting the message when it comes to protecting themselves online? Or are businesses just checking the box to get 2FA up and running and not doing their due diligence in development? Finally, the Petya ransomware. Looks like another ransomware out in the wild, and this time it seems to be mostly for malicious reasons and not financial gain. The guys discussed the latest one to drop and what is coming in the future. Ukraine was hit hard, and we wonder if these lesser-known targets in these types of countries are breeding grounds for something bigger. So grab your drink and join us for all these exciting topics and more. You are listening to Two Drop Tables and a Microphone, an information security podcast with a Canadian perspective and the only tech podcast with a three-drink minimum. We are the place for information security news and how it affects you as either a security professional or a general consumer. The views and opinions expressed by the hosts and our guests are solely their own and do not reflect the views and opinions of their employers, past or present. Hey, ladies and gentlemen, welcome to episode five of Two Drop Tables and a Microphone. I'm here. Uh, my name is John Roperto, and I'm here with my boys. You got Mark and Dom. Mark? Yep, Mark Speed, and I'm lead consultant at Dogwood Technical Solutions. And I'm Dom Kapik, uh, senior security analyst at the Ministry of Transportation Infrastructure. Fantastic. Well, we got three uh, good topics. I mean, there's a lot going on in the security world, as usual, as everyone knows, and uh, we're trying to find topics that appeal to the masses and uh, how they affect us on day to day and what appeals to us in, in, in our job life. First topic, we're going to look at uh, a lot of political stuff going on, and I guess you can never get away from it with, uh, with Trump being in the news all the time. But this one came up, and uh, Putin and Trump to form cybersecurity team to thwart election hacking. If there is any, we don't know. So what do we think? A media ploy or they seriously considering doing something, mending some bridges? How much trust can the public put in something like this? And will there be any outcome or is this just, you know, for shits and giggles? I don't know. It sounds like a joke to me. I mean, it's... uh... I don't know what uh, Putin's probably just making Trump look bad uh, uh, or what, but uh, you're talking about two adversaries here. Uh, there are sanctions in place by the United States against Russia, currently in place. And so I'm like, okay, wait a minute. Um, why are they wanting to do this? And uh, I, I, think it's a, I think it's a ploy by, by Putin to make uh, Trump look even worse than he currently is. Or or what? I don't know. But this is this is actually kind of a sounds like a real joke to me. You know, like this is it's like really come on. I mean, is it is that going to happen? I don't think so. It's a little bit of like you know the a coyote asking the fox to you know help him guard the hen house. Like I yeah, just don't exactly. understand. Um, out of those two, I don't. I would have to say that Putin's got to be more much more savvy like he's th- this has been his whole life being a spy and doing espionage yeah like exactly he he knows what he's doing and Trump sort of I asked him two times you know very pointedly did he hack our election and he said no so you know and everyone knows how I feel about the matter so let's move forward you know there's you know mending bridges and all that stuff and I you know 
I agree with that. I don't want to see people go to war over dumb shit, particularly because nothing's come out. Nothing's come out that like really pointedly said, oh, yeah, this is Russia. Just because the media is saying it doesn't mean it's actually true. Yeah, I mean, and the media has has it in for Trump, you know, that that because they're looking for all, all the little things that they can get to to, to uh, make Trump look bad. I mean, it's, uh, you know, I mean, it, it's it's something that because uh, I see the media all the time. I, I mean, I watch the media or, you know, watch the news, listen, listen to radio, radio shows, whatever. And they go just they're 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 totally against trump i mean it's uh unless if you watch fox and friends or you know or breitbart but uh otherwise it's it's like yeah there are they have it in for trump yeah but it doesn't do them any good right so trump's talking to putin and like then he goes and starts tweeting afterwards saying hey you know putin and i discussed this cybersecurity unit so that election hacking and all these other things would be guarded better and be more safe which is kind of crazy and then you know putin and trump are talking about you know, hey, we were talking about questions about why the CIA and FBI asked the Democratic National Committee 13 times for their server that was hacked and were rejected all 13 times and they still don't have it. No one's seen it. So, you know, what's what's Putin or Trump going to say, right? It's like, well, we can't even prove it because the people who are making this statement won't give us any evidence. So what can we do? Yeah, well, it makes me think that uh, this is a whole uh, boondoggle, right? I mean, it's uh, wherever you wherever you go, it's just a boondoggle. And I mean, and Trump is not helping with his tweets. I mean, he's just he's probably tweeting about uh, stuff that uh, shouldn't be even taken seriously. I mean, um, I uh, just reading like reading those tweets. I'm just thinking, well, why are you tweeting so much? I mean. Uh, I mean, if you're if you're president of the United States, you know, you want to be careful about what you tweet, you know, or or even even a premier of British Columbia or the premier or a governor or even the mayor of what, you know, insert city here. They want to be uh, they want to be careful what they tweet, because that's that, that gets out and it, and it can be used. It can be twisted uh, uh, to be used against them. So. I don't know. It's like as if uh, Trump doesn't care at all about his uh, image. He doesn't care at all about uh, um, uh, the image of the United States. So, and I mean, uh, and the media is taking advantage of it. So do you think that maybe there are okay, a couple things? They're talking about how they can thwart election hacking. So they figure, hey, if we look like we're joining forces on this or maybe we're on the same page and it will put people's fears to rest that Russia had anything to do with it, even though there's been no pointed evidence. Or B, they have some similar interests in mind where they think they can benefit from one each other's help. I mean, you know, maybe to me a lot of this is just posturing and pandering in the news and it paints a good story for the people. Oh, we have an enemy in Russia and whatever, but behind scenes, you know, maybe they have more similarities and differences and they're looking to find another avenue where they can share data, share knowledge, whatever. While saying, "Oh no, there are there are enemy would never do that." I think it's a bit too early to do something like that. I think uh, we need to demonstrate that. Yeah, we're trying to mend fences with Russia. We're trying to, uh, you know, I mean, uh, you know, they have to make compromises. You know, Russia has to make compromises. U.S. has to make compromises, and they they negotiate whatever they need to negotiate, and uh, um, you know, they they try to mend fences that way and show that they are actually mend fences, but. I think they're trying to do, at the very least, is trying to do step two before they 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 finish step one. I mean, that's that's what I see. One of the things I found when I was researching this is that they, the FBI and the FSB, have literally had a unit that worked together before. And you know what happened? 
the Russians in that unit that were serving as FBI's point of contact in Moscow on cybercrime matters are the group of guys that broke into Yahoo hmm. and stole and stole at least 500 million Yahoo accounts. So it's like uh, that we tried this before and it didn't go so good. Yeah, we promise this time we'll be good. Yeah, good luck with that. And uh, you could also say the same thing about the Osama bin Laden, right? I mean, uh, the uh, the Mujahideen in 1980s in Afghanistan. You know, the CIA was working with uh, with the Mujahideen, and uh, oh, well, look where that ended up. So, I mean, the same same thing could happen here. There could be an amount of sort of like the devil you know, and our keep your enemies closer, right? Oh, let's both sort of work on and just share defensive things and just... Then we'll each get a gleam of like what the other person's doing or what their capabilities are. Yeah, that's probably Russia's got to be seeing all these leaks too from the CIA and um, the NSA, like everyone oh, else course. is, right? Being like, "Holy shit, they're doing some crazy stuff." Maybe they're involved in those crazy stuff. Who knows, right? <laughs> they probably have their own crazy stuff. Oh, of course. I haven't seen those yet. I'd like to see what the Russians have come up with. We're like, let's see what the FS, what kind of uh, software the FSB has come up with. I'm only seeing the American stuff. Like, what about other countries? Oh, exactly. And I mean, we, we know Trump is probably never expected to be there. Now he is. And, you know, they say, well, Putin is pretty meticulous when he comes to public speaking and is, you know, on point usually. And, and Trump shoots from the hip. I mean, you've never seen anyone use Twitter more than him <laughs> in such an important position. Uh, so, you know, he, he the idea probably came to his head and he thought, hey, this would be a great idea. And then I saw something where he tweeted, like they walked it back and thought, and then he thought, oh, maybe it couldn't happen or something. So he kind of just, you know, shoots from the ho- the hip, sees what sticks, how the discussion goes, and then seems to kind of, you know, alter his opinion based on the reaction almost. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and that's what that's the thing. I mean, I mean, being in that such a position, you know, requires uh, some level of discretion, which I'm not seeing from Trump. There's no discretion there. You can't yeah, blame absolutely. him. He almost, you know, you could say that he won the election because of his rhetoric and how crazy he is, and he was seemed a lot more, you know, approachable and a lot more like the everyman, and you know, acting like a, you know, a bit of a cowboy. Probably a lot of Americans like that and followed him and then supported him because of that, and then. You don't really expect him to change. Like it's not an act. He's just like that. But it's worked yeah, for him. Exactly, I, don't, yeah. I don't see him changing just because he wants to. Oh, he's not right. He's not going to change. I mean, I, I see that Trump is. Uh, he's going to be the way he is, and it's always. It's it's, it's never going to change. You know, uh, he's going to be that like that until the day he dies. I mean, it's just the, uh, it's just the, uh, the way it is. I mean, but uh, I look at. I look at uh, this brashness, and I think some people are taking advantage of it. I mean, uh, there's, there are probably others uh, behind the scenes taking advantage of uh, his brashness. And uh, to either, enrich, who knows, to enrich themselves or to achieve some sort of agenda. But, you know, it's, that's, I haven't seen anything like that, uh, or I haven't seen uh, that being done overtly, which obviously <laughs> wouldn't be done. But, uh, you know, I mean, it's... It's, uh, it's interesting when it's probably a lot more behind the scenes than one really realizes. Exactly. So it's, it seems like it. We're gonna continue to hear more about this or other top or other, you know, topics that he's gonna bring up with with Putin. I mean, they're gonna meet a lot, talk a lot, and we'll probably never not have enough fodder to to to, to talk about. So. It'll be interesting to see where this goes, and I keep my ears posted for uh, some more news about this.
Yeah, absolutely. Well, there's going to be more down the line. You know, may we live in interesting times. So what countries have these sort of arrangements and like group cybersecurity teams? Like I could see U.S., Canada, U.K. sort of joining up, but I don't know. Uh, it's called the Five Eyes. Um, I'll say there's the, Five Eyes. There's, there's that. Five eyes, but yeah. I don't think there's anything like this. Like I said, I think it's he's just shooting from the hip, and it sounded probably cool at the time, and now it's like, oh, maybe that's a bad idea. Yeah. Shouldn't have said that. And he had to use that fucking word cyber, too, right? He just could not use cyber. Sorry, I swore, but I can't. Whenever I hear cyber, I have to swear. (laughs) Cyber. Fuck. All right, moving along, let's uh, shift away from the political winds here and uh, move on to something that uh, I think a lot more people are getting more familiar with, uh, two-factor authentication. Uh, for years, this has kind of come on. You know, you uh, not only do you use username and password, now a lot of sites are enabling you to have a, another way of authenticating. So a second factor, uh, something like an SMS code, uh, a token from a, a, a generator like Google Authenticator, Authy, and uh, now you pretty much see every service has it and, you know, give people another level of assurance to protect their accounts. But we're here to talk about why we think it's a mess. Um, you know, we're starting to see a lot of different options now. There's a lot. It's uh, all major web services have them. Everybody has them. I think Netflix is probably the biggest holdout uh, for two-factor authentication. I know a lot of the banks as well, at least here in Canada, don't have it. Um and people are starting to wonder maybe why, you know, even myself, I tend to go for services that do have that second factor, even though there is probably a security flaw with it these days. Yeah, and that's the thing I see with uh, two-factor authentication. It's like anything else, like encryption. Encryption's great. You know, two-factor authentication is great, it's, but the implementation is what matters. And as, I mean, if the implementation is done is, is done improperly. Uh, not uh, and you're gonna have, it's gonna it's gonna it's gonna have flaws and uh, it's not gonna work. I mean, um, and you're you're basically putting in something that'll cost you a lot of money that uh, eventually will get broken into if not implemented properly. Yeah, I agree. I, one of the things reading this article, like first of all, I think The Verge is clickbait crap to begin with. Oh yeah, but of course. If if you read the article, so first of all, I was just like, oh my god, The Verge. And then I'm reading it and like, well, okay, maybe two-factor is a bit more of a mess than I originally thought. And then by the time I got to the end of the article, I'm thinking, wait, two-factor authentication works. It's just certain implementations of it don't work. And I think one good point that the article did make, uh, they interviewed somebody, I forget who it was now, was saying like people are just rushing to check that box, right? They've had someone tell them, we need to implement two-factor. So they just do it. And they're not putting you know, enough thought into it, right? So... I think that businesses should stop checking boxes and actually implement like a full, complete, audited and well-staffed security program. Like you're not just going to rush out. There's no one size fits all solution for anything. You need balance. You need to like, you know, mitigate risk. You need to know what the risk of your business are. You can't just go out and say, oh, I installed the thing. Now we're good because that's not how security works. But that's what people are doing here for the most part. The second thing that came to mind was that, you know, with the multi-factors, you know, so you have something you know, which is your password, but other people could know that. It's not just you in your own head. And then, you know, something you are like a biometric, which you talked about on one of the other episodes and, you know, something that you have and using SMS is not a good indicator that you have your phone. 
And that's one of the huge issues with two-factor auth because a lot of people have SMS as an option and people use it because it's easy. And a lot of people have SMS as the only option for a second factor. Mm, Yeah, that's not good because what if your phone gets stolen? You know, I mean, if your phone gets stolen and uh, they, they, uh, whoever stole it, I, I would say they still need the password or the PIN number or whatever it is. But imagine if they found out they got that and they got your phone. I mean, you know, the chance of that happening is pretty rare, but still, you know, they, they could get lucky, grab your phone and go, oh, wait a minute, I have this guy's password too. Let's see what happens. But the thing, the other thing is, is that um, it, it, that's the easiest way to implement. It's probably the least costliest for, for, for businesses to implement, you know, if they wanted to implement 2FA or two-factor authentication, they, they, they would... They use SMS. They would use uh, probably like a key fob or uh, or, uh, or a USB dongle, and uh, where you go. But if uh, if one of those de- one of those devices gets lost, your either your dongle, or your phone, then uh, you you you're basically locked out of your your account. And that implementation, like what if you have uh, so you have to call it in, and, and then you go through a whole process of why you lost it, and the whole process of replacing it. If you, if it's for a business, but if it's your personal, well, you know, makes it makes it a lot tougher. I mean, you could be on the hook for for hundreds of thousands or even thousands of dollars in many in some cases. Mm-hmm. So it's and to speak more to Mark's point, like I mean, you know, uh, with this article, I think wh- where they're going and you know, talking about it's a mess. It's a mess in the terms of yeah, people are checking boxes, and now we have so many options, and everyone they just the buzzword is two FA two FA. And no one really knows what they should be using. Somebody offers it and they just use it. Oh, SMS is easy because I have my phone. It's my phone, so it's secure enough. So I think, you know, multi-factor authentication is definitely the way to go. The more factors you have, the more potential for security that you have, that you can obtain. Uh, and that's a good thing. And now we look at this and and think, well, now which one do I use? Or which one's going to, do I need a YubiKey or... Google Auth is good enough, or you know, it says avoid SMS. But I think businesses are saying, okay, well, you know, even Apple did the same thing. You know, <laughs> you just implement it because you're now compliant, and then you don't bother with checking, you know, looking further into it, and it becomes compromised. Yeah, and do you think that's the thing? I mean, it's a, uh, but at the same time, you got to make a security easy for for the people. Otherwise, they'll try to find a way around it or not do it at all. I mean, if you have say three or four, you know, you have to you have to uh, authenticate with three or four times over password, say uh, biometric sample, PIN number, whatever. I mean, uh, it, that can actually frustrate people, and they're willing, they're not, they're they're going to complain, and uh, or they might even try to compromise the security themselves because they're like they're sick of it. So uh, you know, it's not uh, so. Got to be careful about that. Got to find the right balance. Uh, you know, two FA is a good good way to do it. Uh, I mean, but like, again, it's all about implementation. Yeah, I think that that's a good point too. Like there's a quote in the article from Mark Risher who manages Google's identity systems saying that one of the truths we've found is that people won't accept more security than they think they need. Mm -hmm. Yeah, exactly. So why, so, so why, you know, we look at our banks, uh, Royal Bank that I use or have used Coast Capital in the past. Uh, why are they major holdouts? I mean, we're talking about that's my financial, everything to do with my financials. I would expect a, a 2FA implementation. Uh, are, 
what uh, what gives there. Yeah, they're obviously they they've managed. They're just managing the risk. They see that you know it's going to cost us X to implement two factor and all the people who will lose them. And you do account resets and on and on and on. That that's we will just pay out because they know how much money they're losing from you know accounts getting stolen. So they just figure, oh, we'll pay out and we'll be okay. Yeah, it's probably be cheaper. It's like uh, like the Pinto thing. It's uh, cheaper to pay out lawsuits than to actually fix the problem. And uh, so they they figured, okay, well, uh, if uh, 2FA uh, doesn't, uh, I mean, if 2FA costs X amount of dollars, and but if our losses are Y amount of dollars, and you know the Y is less than X, then um, let's just pay, let's just uh, deal with Y as a, as a cost of business rather than implement X so the 2FA. Right. So it's uh, there. there it, it comes down to cost, you know, cost benefit analysis. Yeah. And I think the problems with two factor, like reading this article and doing some research that I see two major problems. Like one is using SMS, like there's interception technology. There's been a lot of cases of people phoning up a telco and just social engineering, calling them up and changing some forwarding rules or doing something to get access to the person's. Uh, SMS codes. And then earlier this year, uh, NIST even stated that SMS-based two-factor is deprecated and no one should use it anymore. So that's one problem, that it's not actually proving that you have anything in your hand right now and that you are you, and it should really stop being used. The other one is um, people having like very easily exploitable account recovery options. So something that someone was speaking to earlier saying, yeah, if you lose this, now you're locked of all your accounts. And yeah. So if you aren't taking a holistic approach to your security program and you just check in boxes, Oh, now we have two FA. Well, no one's gone through and looked and said, Hey, do you know, we just need the answer to these three questions and the person can have all that reset. So it may be very difficult for me to get your UB key, but if I know what color your first car is, what school you went to, and what your mother's maiden name is, or whatever questions you have in there, if they're stupid, you can get all that reset anyway. And that happens a lot. It's happened with all the celebrities that got hacked, got their iPhone, uh, iCloud accounts hacked, for example, right? Especially if you're a public figure, like, what, what city did you grow up in? And it's like, holy shit, I can figure out where Scarlett Johansson grew up pretty easily. Yeah, exactly. I mean, it's not hard. I mean, it's, uh, and that's the thing. It's, uh, if, if you're like, oh, I need to break into this per- celebrity's account, I mean, all the information is publicly available. I mean, you just have to read all the, all the, all the celebrity gossip that's out there. Yeah, and I mean, social engineering is still the method. I mean, it's people forget. You know, it's this is not bulletproof uh, technology. It's another layer to make it harder. Just like you put a lock on your door, you might put a deadbolt, and you might put a security system. Mm-hmm. It doesn't it's prevent someone from getting it. in. It just makes it a little harder, and maybe they move on to the next target. But like Mark said, you need to continue to review and update your security posture. You gotta look at what's out there. You know, OSMS is deprecated, maybe we shouldn't use it. Is it really effective? Uh, what's actually gonna work for our user base and for our service and what are we trying to protect? Mm-hmm. And uh, what's the, you know, I mean, there's no point in uh, spending $10 to protect something that's worth $2. So it's like, what's the, again, what's the cost benefit analysis? Uh, is in some cases 2FA may not be necessary. In other cases, definitely 2FA should be uh, implemented, like financial institutions. So I mean, it's uh, it's definitely like what's the, uh, you know, it's it's a trade-off, right? Security is all about trade-offs in the end. 
Yeah, of course. And then you're, you're never 100% safe, like we're saying, but you know, not having 2FA is definitely worse than having 2FA, even if it's somewhat shitty. Chances are, unless you are, you know, some of these journalists that have got broken into or a celebrity or, you know, someone else huge, then people aren't going to go through that extra effort. And so the, any two-factor will stop you from getting your password stolen because someone's broken into you know, that company or they've broken into a forum that you're on and using the same email and password somewhere else or something like two factor has saved me in the past. Um, funnily enough, more often in the beginning, it was people trying to get into my world of Warcraft account, but, <laughs> and then you just get yeah. all these notices saying, Oh, someone's trying to break in. Are you, so are you log, trying to log in from China right now? It's like, no, I am not, but I guess they have my password. Yeah. Um, I've, I've had my email back from Vietnam target but one thing i think uh, that i like is i don't think i like it one thing that i like reading this article is the website that's mentioned in the very beginning twofactoroff.org so this one put together and it lists uh sites and if they support all sorts of sites and if they support 2fa and it's got easy buttons if they don't to like tweet at them or facebook or whatever and i think more people should take it upon themselves to go after some of these people like Netflix isn't one I really care about. And I don't think I push them that much of though. I think they should probably do it, but whatever my kid's not going to be able to put in a Google auth code or anything. So it's really useless to me, but my bank, even though they're writing off that risk, I would rather my bank have two FA yeah, or have it available absolutely. just as an option for people like me who can do it and not screw it up. So, you know, just like tweet at them and tell them like, Hey, you know, this is, this is worth it. I, I want this and you know, I'll go to another bank that has it. And really what is the cost for them? I mean, I look at some of these banking ones like Adico bank, I don't even know where that is, but they support hardware and software solutions. Are you telling me they're get either getting more attacks than say RBC or uh, bank of America? Probably not. They're smaller. I don't know. It's just a guess. I haven't heard of them, but they support all these solutions. So I would highly doubt that the cost is that restrictive to them. They just are not hearing enough from their base. It's no different than any other business. You know, when consumers put pressure on them, they'll kind of came to what they want. It's Walmart has done the same thing with their food. You know, if people want organic, they just have to speak with their wallets. And that's the same thing with, with these kind of guys too. Yeah, everyone should go to the two-factor Everyone should go to twofactoroff.org and just go down the list and spend half an hour just like sending nasty tweets at companies that they do business yeah. with that don't do 2FA. <laughs> and the other thing too, I mean, you look at you look at from a marketing ploy, like uh, what about financial institutions? Uh, they could say, we, we are introducing uh, two-factor authentication. And uh, they can actually use that as a marketing ploy to take businesses or business away from uh, competitors. So I mean, here I'll go. I'll go full on Alex Jones conspiracy theory here and say maybe they just <laughs> want to sell their uh, protection packages that they phone you about once a month. Oh mm. yeah, yeah, yeah. For identity yeah, theft. You never know. Yeah, I mean, I think at the end of the day, it's probably right. I think we would all recommend that users check out what services they use on a regular, see if they offer two FA and implement it. I mean, even. You know, even if it's SMS-based, you have your phone, I guess. You know, it's not the best one. If you can use the authenticator, that's on every major platform. Use that. It doesn't have that much time to actually log it in and maybe gives you a better, more comfort and at least a better level of security. I think that would be a big takeaway. 
I'd have it for my credit card. Use my credit card, and it's, it, I have a credit card app on my phone. Like, that would be awesome. Every time I use my credit card, it just pops up, and I just have to hit OK. Yeah. Oh, that'd be handy. I've, uh, I've, uh, do you actually have something like that in play? Cause I, no, I don't. I'm just saying I, I would like something like that. I know, definitely. They would because, never do uh, it. They just pay yeah. it. Oh, of course. And the other thing, too, is uh, at least with my credit card, I, there is a two-factor there because I have to have one, have to have the credit card. And the other is a PIN number. So, I mean, um, you know, it's something you have and something you know. But it, at the same time... You don't you know, need your PIN for online, though. No, you don't. See, that's that's where the vulnerability lies. And uh, so I'm like, okay, wait a minute. They don't even need my credit card for my... They just have to have, they just have, to have the credit card number and the expiry date, right? And then I'm like, okay, well, you know, that's not that hard to get. <laughs> So, I mean, okay, well, what about uh, implementing 2FA in cases like that? I mean, I know I would want that. I did remember, now that I'm thinking about it, seeing a commercial for something similar to my idea, but not sending you a message every time. It was a lady, she was like in a restaurant and got told like, oh, did you do just make these charges to her phone, right? She's like, no, in the app. And I could hit like hold or like you forget your car wallet somewhere and you can hold like fire up the app and say, I want to hold my card. Then when you find it, you can sort of like unsuspend it. Yeah. So people are thinking about some things, but not really to a fay. Yeah. I mean, to a fay, you know, it, it, it's there, but you know, it's not high on the priority list. Let's just say. Right. Excellent. All right. Moving along. Uh, well, our favorite topic of ransomwares <laughs> seems to, you know, rear its ugly head again. And we're talking about the pet. Yeah. Ransomware, our next topic, another nifty little thing that, uh, you know, spreads malware through a, a little, this was actually quite clever, I thought. People, experts found a backdoor in an ME doc update to spread some sort of malware so it doesn't, you know, the users had to update, you couldn't tell, it didn't change any files until they moved it, and it would infect. And it seemed that this one being different than the other ones, seem to be more malicious than purely financial gain. And I think it was a test thing. Like I've heard that um, developing countries are now being t- uh, being used as test beds uh, for uh, for future malware attacks. So this could be uh, could be something that could be used uh, against, let's say, for example, like what if Russia did attack Ukraine with this? Um, probably they did, but uh, but uh, the evidence is scant at best, or at least appears to be. Anyway, but I mean, if if that's if that's what they did, then maybe they're testing it against Ukraine, so that in the future they could go, okay, if we have uh, issues with the United States, uh, we could uh, target the United States with this. And it's uh, China's probably doing the same thing, almost guaranteed. And you know who else is doing it? You probably U.S. is doing it. And so they're like, okay, we could use this as test beds, and then if uh, we're ready to go, uh, then then we have something to work with. The exploit will be patched that you're using, though, right? But yeah, the, the rest exactly. of the method would be would still be usable. Absolutely, and I mean, there could be new. There's always going to be new vulnerabilities coming down the pipe, and all I have to do is just add that new vulnerability in, and, and then away you go. Well, it just keeps morphing. I mean, even since we talked about doing this one, now there's GoldenEye or something else now. So I mean, it's. It's interesting. It just yeah, uh, not patchy. Yeah, Yeah, exactly. So, you know, and they said this one's different just because it was a little more malicious. So yeah, like you said, I mean, people are testing different types. 
uh, seeing what works, seeing what doesn't work. And, you know, you go to these other countries that maybe aren't as visible or high on the list and you can get away with a little more. You know, a lot of reconnaissance being done and who knows how infiltrated the network is before these take hold. Yeah, exactly. I mean, and they, I mean, it's they're saying now, like recently, saying that it was at that uh, U.S. U.S. nuclear power plants are being hacked into uh, routinely, and I mean, what if they use this uh, like a variant of Petya against that in a say uh, as, as a part of a, a global conflict, uh, like a Cold War scenario, or maybe even a hot war scenario? I mean, that's what they're they're prepping for in this case. <laughs> And that's the other thing I found. Uh, that's the other thing. I mean, it's there's so much information out there. I mean, I mean the NSA is uh, still working on whatever they uh, they have and all those tools. There's probably nothing. I mean, it's a drop in the bucket compared to what they have. So. So what are uh, again? I mean, let's talk about what the general population do to to prevent things like this being spread on their machines. I mean, it's all it's using machines. It's going around and and affecting multiple computers. So, I mean, there's end users helping spread the chart, you know, through, you know, lack of knowledge and whatever. So what, what are people able to do here to minimize the risk? Well, definitely all, patch. patch. Yeah, definitely patch. Don't open up uh, on, on unknown attachments. I mean, uh, a lot of this, a uh, lot of these, uh, the Petya worm has uh, spread around through uh, Microsoft Office documents and then through, uh, through uh, macros. So, you know, if you if you see a, a attachment that in your mailbox, yeah, that you don't know where it's from, don't open it. Just delete it. Just delete the email. It's just as simple as that. If you don't know where the email came from, or you don't know who the sender is, delete it. Yeah, I think you know as things get, I don't know, people are just gonna have to get smarter with security as things get worse and worse and worse. Unfortunately, I don't see it getting better anytime soon. And it, you know, software being software, there's always gonna be bugs. And, you know, people have, you know, just as much um, effort as being putting into find these things to use for nefarious means as there is to find them for bug bounties and whatever else, right? So some people you're never going to turn. You, you couldn't give them enough money because they're going to use them for their government's nation state work or they're going to do something like, you know, ransomware because they get more money that way than by selling it to Microsoft or Facebook, whoever. Uh, through something like Hacker One, I just I don't know how bad it'll get before things start to get a bit better. Like I had someone over the other day who was like, "Oh, what's your Wi-Fi?" Because he wanted to hook his laptop up, and I'm just like, "Fuck, I don't want oh, laptops yeah. from people who I don't know who really who they are." Like attaching to anything <laughs> in my network because yeah. I don't know what you have that'll start spreading. I'm like, so he's asking me, and I'm thinking, "Oh, I got the you need to reboot after patching." message on my laptop that's still hooked up and on and i said do it later when's the last time i patched that and like i'm a security professional here i am having to think like damn it are all my systems patched up to date right now did anything come out the last month that i care about can i let this guy get on my wi-fi or not i'm just like man if i have trouble with this there's no way that anyone else isn't yeah i mean it's just it comes down to awareness and you can never have enough awareness i mean there's so many things competing for our attention you think of something like that, and it's like for Wi-Fi, it's like okay, well maybe set up the guest network. How many people are going to do that? Oh, you know, log in their SHA router even and set it up. I mean, it's it's really tough, and it will just continue to get worse until people realize. I think an individual is no different than this for a, a big organization. Is until they become affected or they have something real valuable, then they start paying attention to it. 
you know. But most people figured, well, you know, I mean, nobody's going to want my information yeah. or nobody's going to want my. So, you know, they're not, they're, you know, the security to them is not even a, a thought to them. You know, until something bad happens, they're like, "Oh, maybe I should have uh, um, not clicked that email or uh, had a guest network." I mean, and then realize, yeah, it's like, okay, well, you know, point twenty hindsight. If a regular average Joe gets hit by Petya or whatever, and like their whole system's encrypted, they might just wipe and start again and not really yeah. care that much. It's businesses, and particularly like smaller businesses. There was a uh, image on Twitter that I saw of somewhere in Ukraine that had. You could see all the way down the aisles in the supermarket, all of the point of sale machines <laughs> were hit <laughs> by Petya. Yeah, and, and everyone's yeah, just standing around, arms folded, well. like arms crossed, like how the hell do I get my groceries out of here now? So, but places like that, I guarantee you, if they do have any IT staff at all, no one's thinking about security, and it's someone who's you know doesn't have that much background, and they're not paying them that well. I think just everybody who has any information or could lose any money if their systems were down, wiped, or compromised needs to start investing more in security. It's just something we're going to have to do. And, you know, maybe there needs to be, I know there is already, but maybe there just needs to be a larger, like, insurance industry uh, built up around it. You could have people say, you know, I'll insure you against cyber attacks, but you're going to have to do X and Y and be audited and prove that you're doing it. Right. Yeah, insurance, PCI compliance. If you're planning on holding financial data or credit card, you know, credit card data especially. But the thing is, is that uh, they don't think that way. I mean, uh, especially smaller businesses. Yes, you know, I mean mom and pop shops. It's like okay, they're they're kind of like uh, individuals. Like, why do they need my? Uh, you know, I don't, I'm okay. I mean, they don't need uh, security. What 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 a, what a hacker's going to want from my? You know, from me. But it's not about that. It's like, what if uh, you get hit with ransomware and then you lose all your financial data? You know I mean, that that can, that can have really hurt. So, I mean, it's something that, uh, that that every business doesn't matter how small you are. At the very least, it's I think everybody should be aware of this and then take precautions against dealing with uh, malware and you know being aware of what's out there and what to do and what not to do. Yeah, I, I think that's going to be the lesson we hammer home consistently is people just need to be aware. You're never going to be able to mitigate awareness. every risk. You're not going to be able to stop everything. And that's never the point. And that's never the intention. It's impossible. There's just too much to defend against and not enough resources. Yeah, so exactly. it's just being aware. You know, you and don't click on something. Half the battle. Yeah, you don't click on something and you prevent, you know, you don't click on something you normally would and you just stop something. So just little by little, you kind of just mitigate and funnel it away. That's one of the things that a company I started trying to do is try to make small, easy, quick checklists for businesses and capture that sort of small, medium business market as a niche. And, you know, you guys need security. Are you doing any of these things, right? No, we're not doing any of those things. Well, okay. Well, you can pay me now or pay me double to do incident management when you get hit. <laughs> yeah, and it's not if, it's when. <laughs> Exactly. You leave the, the, you know, you leave your door unlocked long enough, and someone will walk right in. Oh, excellent. Well, that's uh, that wraps up our podcast for tonight. Uh, thanks for everyone for listening and, and joining us. Hope you enjoyed it. Uh, you can join us again in a couple of weeks for episode six. Uh, this will be posted up onto the website twodroptables.ca, and you can follow us on iTunes and every other podcast platform there is out there that you use. Uh, thanks and uh, good night. That was the Two Drop Tables podcast for this week. 
If you've got comments or feedback, you can visit our website at twodroptables.ca. That's the number two, droptables.ca. There you can read the show notes and leave a comment on this episode. Or you can email feedback at twodroptables.ca. You can subscribe to us via iTunes, Google Play, SoundCloud, Stitcher, or anywhere else you find fine podcasts. Just go to our website for convenient links or search your podcasting app for Two Drop Tables. 